You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Hey, Bracken, welcome to the conversation. Hello, gentlemen. One second. What are you, what are you doing there, sir? <laughs> I have a new shirt underneath this, and it had a tag on it. And I ripped wow. it off, but then it just left this jagged thing. It's been stabbing me, and I've, I've had enough. <laughs> enough is enough. The buck yeah. stops here. Very professional organization over here, Joey. Yeah, I can. Yep, yep. Oh, Joey, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I ran. I think we raced at Mankato indoor one year. Would that you guys have an indoor track? Yeah, it's different than the one that's there was there when I was there. Mm. Yeah, it's like got a purple, purple surface. I don't know. I seem to remember we raced at Mankato. But... Yeah, like it was a modern track. It yeah. wasn't a track from 1972. No. Okay. Yeah. I never ran on that one because that was that was the new one. Came after my time. Gotcha. Yeah. You uh you calling yourself old Joey? How old how old are you? How far removed are you from collegiate running anyways? Well, I'm forty seven. Okay. 30 years, depending on the age. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So I feel like I should clue the audience in as to who you are to me, Joey, which is a very, you know, degree of separation, but just to bring this full circle and why you're on today um, is, so I have personal trained your uh, sister Lynn for like six years, maybe Yeah. Maybe longer. Yep. And she's, yeah. And she's always sung your praises. Like you are her secret hero. Maybe not so secret. I don't know, but she adores you. Did you know wow. this? Uh, well, we really get along great. I don't know about adoring, but yeah, no, she's, yeah, she's great, great to have as a sister. She's always talked about you positively. And she said you were, you know, you were a D2 national champ in college. And then you c- continued your running career uh, competitively after that. Um, and you're a high school coach and you've been for quite some time. And I was always kind of curious, um, you know, like, wow, this guy's like real legit. And then one day she walked in about two months ago and she gave me this. Uh-huh. A book. And I was like, Lynn, your brother wrote a book? And this thing, this book is called Run Great When It Counts. Joey, our guest, has written this. And it sat on my desk for the last two, two months. And I was like, we got to get this guy on. We got to talk to this man. And that's how this came full circle to have you on the other end of the, po- the podcast. Mike. Great. Yeah. If you write the book, you're the expert, right? That's what they say. Well, and I pushed back immediately against this. I said, absolutely uh, not. One episode ago, we had a guest on and I said, the thing that I am the worst at as a coach would be to meet someone who I have no background with. And in that first season, peak them for a race. Like get them to be at their absolute best when it counts. I feel like year two, I could maybe do a better job. But year one, that's just not my savant. I can't do that. And Kirk says, by the way, there's a guy I think we're going to interview next week. I said, no, come on. He's going to come on. He's going to expose all my feelings of inadequacy. And he said, too bad. We got to do it anyway. None of that's true. Uh, most of that's true. I I just talked about that on the last episode. Yeah, let's expose all of our inadequacies. I'm all for that. How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I 
We've been doing that over about 200 episodes. So it's where our inadequacies have all been out there. It's your turn right. now is what it is. We can uh, work on that. Then. <laughs> something I wanted to, I feel like we're kindred spirits in a way, Joey, because um, if you believe in that sort of thing. So right away in the preface of your book, it says that um, you were the, on your sophomore season at Mankato State University, you were the 10th man on your cross country team. And by the end of that year, which is literally seven months later, you were the D2 National Steeplechase Champion. You went from 10th on your team to Steeplechase Champion. And so obviously you learned a thing or two about getting better quick. And I just felt a little parallel there. And this is not to your degree, but um, I was our 10th man on my cross-country team my freshman year. Granted, we were national champs at Oshkosh. However... Uh, then I was an All-American as a freshman in the 1500 meters, not even making our national squad in cross country. So I felt, I mean, you're way cooler than I am in that regard, but I felt a little bit of a connection there. Not much connection for me, I guess. <laughs> Why not, Bracken? <laughs> well, because I wasn't good at either. <laughs> I think I was our seventh man, bounced between fifth and seventh at a bottom dwelling cross country school. And then did not be did not make nationals individually. So I kind of, I kind of did both, or neither. And which bottom dwelling school was that? UW Whitewater is where I finished up. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you then was, you began your book with that. And we're gonna. I want to get to know you as a human, and then we're gonna kind of talk coaching philosophy. And we really wanted to dive into, like, one of our last guests was Matt Fitzgerald, for example, who's written a bunch of books from wow. like the the general overview. And then we've had a trail runner, obstacle course racing coach, which Bracken and I are, but we haven't had anybody in the high school um, realm. And I feel like that high school time period is like, man, if that's not the most important time period in developmental and setting somebody up for long-term potential success, I don't know what is. And that was the real appeal um, to having you on. But I just want to dive in really quick to that preface, like to your book or whatever you want to refer to it as, like... Obviously, there was something there, and I know you can't summate it all, but like, like, how did that happen? How did you go from 10th on the team to a steeplechase champ in seven months? Yeah, you know, Kirk, I, you know, I thought about this a lot because, um, you know, there's an element of mystery to it, isn't there? I think with, with every, those days, those races or those days when everything's magical and it all kinds of, kind of aligns. You know, like, I, I, I don't know that you can, it's, it's not a scientific thing to me. It kind of, there's a, there's an element of it just happens. And so, uh, w- keeping that in mind, it's like, I try to think back, like what, what led to that, that improvement in one year? Um, and a few things that, that led to it would be, well, first of all, my freshman year in college, um, I came right out of high school and I was a bit young for my grade. So I was, I was almost still, I just had just turned 18 and then left to left for Mankato. I had an August 5th birthday. So I was, I was young for my grade. Um, and that first year it, it wasn't terrible, but I really struggled. It was, uh, I, I just remember my first run with the cross country team at Mankato and I had run like 500 miles over the summer. I thought I was ready and they took off to run a six mile run and I was just, after a mile, they were just gone. I couldn't keep up with them no matter how hard I ran. I, you know, I limped for half of it, walked, walked the rest in. Um, it was just a, a totally different level. Um, but I, I eventually, uh, you know, just kept trying to keep up with these guys. 
And kind of another interesting thing on the, on the age angle is I was able to, my freshman year of college at the end of the cross country season, I was, wasn't even close to being on the team, but I was young enough that I was able to do the high school USATF championships that, that fall. So, so I went back and I, I, I did this cross country season. It was just like a level of intensity I'd never experienced. It was a total trial by fire. Uh, you could almost call it a bit of a failure, but when I went and did that high school race in November, it was in Mobile, Alabama. Um, I was like fifth and it wasn't that I had done anything special. It's just that I'd gotten so much tougher in that stretch of time just by getting, uh, hammered by these guys every day. And when I say getting hammered at Mankato, that probably brings up certain, <laughs> a, a different, a different image in a different people's mind, but this would be like just running to almost exhaustion, like every day, not, not the wisest thing to do, but that's the way it was. But so at that end of that period, I was just a lot tougher than I was before. Um, so winter passes, uh, indoor track was, you know, kind of mostly unsuccessful. Outdoor track was probably even a little bit worse. And towards my end of my, that, that freshman year, I'd become, become kind of disgruntled with college. I just, I had to do something else. I, I, I needed to move to just kind of get away from the usual track. And, um, I had convinced my friends to, uh, let's, we had talked each other into, we're going to bicycle out to Colorado and we're going to work at a ski resort. Um, so of course the summer passed, you know, I had a job or something and much to my mother's dismay, we, uh, packed up our bikes. I think it was October 5th and started riding West to Colorado, uh, with my good friend, Steve Anderson, who I'm still friends with today. Um, and so for like the next 20, 25 days, we rode, to, uh, well, it's a long story, but in the end we ended up in Crested Butte, Colorado, uh, in a little cabin. So you didn't mess around with altitude. You went right up. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it was, it's pretty high. So we, uh, yeah, we lived in this little cabin, worked at Sharelift. Um, it didn't, I, I didn't really, it, it kind of was a rough, there's, it's, it's, there's so many little stories in here, but I'll try to keep it short. We, uh, uh, I ended up coming back early from the chairlift job. It's, it's not the, it's a kind of a boring job and maybe not the best job for a scatterbrained person. Um, came back, did some stuff over the spring and then, uh, got on my bicycle again in August I had saved up and then I had saved money over the summer enough for college in Mankato, which you could still do back in the day. And then in August, I got on my bicycle and rode around Lake Superior from the Twin Cities and back to the Twin Cities. So about 1,500 miles. Um, and it, it, again, so many stories to throw in here, but I'll just throw in one little element there is my, my sister Lynn rode the opposite direction and we met in Paradise, Michigan. Um, by uh, telephoning on a payphone with my mom and trying to coordinate where we were going to meet because there were no you know, no cell phones back then. Now you're dating yourself, yeah. Yeah, in Paradise, Michigan, and uh, camped out for a night, and then we went our separate ways. So anyway, so, you know, 1,500 miles. It was just, and I was by myself almost the whole way. Um, and it was just brutal. And, like, I got to, there was points where, I think I probably like broke down and just cried from just sort of exhaustion and frustration. Uh, you know, like a, a day with a, a tremendous headwind where you can just can barely even go like five miles an hour. And it's just all day relentless. You make no mileage. You're in the middle of nowhere. Um, it was just, it was just kind of like so tough. And I got back to the twin cities 
And kind of by the time I had got back, it was like, I, I kind of like had kind of gone through this veil of, of, you know, you kind of start off excited. Then there's like these, these doubts during the ride. And then there's this excruciating pain. It might, it might be like, if you're going to run 50 or a hundred miles at one time, you kind of go through all these emotions. Right. And, uh, it was just, it was, it was just, uh, it just turned me into a different person is what it did. And so I got to Mankato. So you basically went as a freshman, took your traditional sophomore year off and pioneered through America. Right. So now they call that a gap year. And back then you just called it dropping out. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I dropped out. I, I, did, I wasn't really going to go back to Mankato. Um, but after that year of doing some different things, um, I realized that, well, first of all, Mankato back then, it still is, this is a great bargain for education. So it's like, well, (laughs) it's about the only thing I can afford. I know people there. I knew the coach, Mark Shook. And, you know, I called him up at some point, maybe it was in the summer. And I'm like, hey, Coach Shook, can I come back? And he's like, you bet, we'd be happy to have you. So it was kind of like Coach Shook's, you know, some coaches maybe would have been like, eh, don't bother coming back. But Coach Shook was very welcoming and was happy to have me back. And I, I started again that fall. So I essentially got off the bike. Had you run at all? No, <laughs> no. So I got off the bike, had maybe like, I don't know, three, four days, and then reported to cross-country running camp or cross-country that fall. Um, so, and this is kind of a long story, but it's like, like I think I'm kind of getting to my point here is. Um, By the way, you didn't take a, you didn't take a, you didn't drop out. You didn't take a gap year. You took a mental toughness year, I think, in hindsight, huh? You learned how to pony up. Yeah, I think so. So, so when I started cross country, I, I just I couldn't run very well because I had just I've been biking like eighty to hundred miles a day. You know, that just it just doesn't translate that well. So I was again just getting buried and blown away by these guys. Um, but uh, but I just sort of kept at it, and I, I think like I was probably a little better. Like I never finished a workout that entire fall. I could not keep up with those guys for an entire workout. Um, like, you know, maybe like a 10 mile fartlek or something like that. I could get, I could maybe, I maybe started off being able to do four. And then later in the season I was doing six and then I could maybe keep up for like eight miles. Um, but never really got to where I could keep up with them. And usually a lot of our runs in Mankato always end up a really long hill because the, the school's up on, on top of the hill there. I could just, I never kept up with them up that last hill, no matter what. Um, but I was just, I was just, yeah, mentally and physically a different person. Now, again, too, remember I was young for my grade to start off with. So it's like I, my body had probably matured. I had just gotten a heck of a lot physically tougher and a heck of a lot mentally tougher. And then it, that fall, it took me, it just took me a while to kind of get my legs back to be able to run again. Um, and, you know, I just like at some point, maybe mid season, I was on the varsity squad and then it just, I just kept kind of ticking my way up until I think probably at this, the regional meet, I was maybe second or third on the team. Um, and then I, you know, then I went, uh, let's see, over that December, I went to Colorado and just slept kind of in my, this guy that I biked out with there with was still out there, slept at his place for a couple weeks, did a bunch of skiing, um, came back and started indoor track. And then all of a sudden it's just kind of like, that was like sort of suddenly like, kind of fast and I hate when that happens. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't, I I didn't get tired. Like I'd be running with people. I'm like, well, why is everybody kind of slowing down here? This is weird. 
but it was like, well, I, I was just, I was kind of like getting better. And so that, that trajectory just sort of continued all the way through to this national meet. Um, so, I, so <laughs> again, you can tell I have thought a lot about this. It's, yeah, it's that mental toughness, that physical maturity. And I really think those long, that long, hard bicycling would be like a substitute for, I don't know, let's say you did a couple summers of 100 mile weeks or something like that. That was probably like a compressed version of it. And, but you didn't get hurt because you're on a bicycle. You're not, you're not pounding yourself. So, yeah, I mean, so it's, uh, I think all those things added up just to being, um, to leading to that national championship. I'd also met uh, my now wife that spring too. So that always makes a guy feel good too. <laughs> so it was kind of like the peak. It's like, it's almost been downhill since then, but. <laughs> Throughout that season, were you a favorite for, for, for the steeplechase or did you same like cross? Did you just tick your way down and arrive at the right time? Right. So at the national meet, well, so my first steeplechase was at Long Beach State in California. There's a I guess we should preempt that. How did you choose steeple or did it choose you? Yeah, it chose me. So we went to, so there, we were at the Mount Sac. Um, the, the team flew to the Mount Sac to do the Mount Sac relays, but there's also a couple smaller meets around Los Angeles that weekend. Um, so I wasn't good enough to run at Mount Sac, but I did go to, I think, Pomona. There's like one at Pomona Pitzer and then there's one at Long Beach State. So I ran at Pomona Pitzer. I think I ran about a 350, 1500 there. Um, and then uh, it's like, well, there's a van going over to Long Beach State the next day. So like, okay, I'll go. So I, we, I went there. It was like a pole vault coach drove the van. There was maybe four or five other guys in the van. Uh, we get to Long Beach State and there's a guy at the, at the gate. He's like, okay, it's uh, five bucks to do one event and it's two bucks to do additional events. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do the mile or the 1500. I'm not sure what it was. So I paid my five bucks. I'm like, ah, it's like two bucks. I'm, I'll, I'll do something else. And my, my, my co teammate, Rick Esponda is like, why don't you do the steeplechase? Like, okay. So I, for two bucks, I signed up for the steeplechase. Just an a la carte track mate. <laughs> well, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I get the money either. It's the coaches must've given us a few bucks to pay the entry fee. Uh, but it was, I mean, this is a very low key meet. I mean, like a like even almost like a low key high school meet. There was hardly anybody there. It's like the wild west of the track and field. You just show up and you got money, pay to play. Yeah. Get me in right. the door. <laughs> so so we we kind of go on the track and I'm like, I think the steeplechase is probably first. Um, and like and like Rick, you know, again, so there's the pole vault coach, who is no help and doesn't really care. And so I'm like, Rick, what's so what's this steeplechase? And he's like, well, okay, you got these barriers you got to jump over. And there's this water, you got to jump in the water. And so we kind of, we found a barrier and I jumped over it a couple of times and we went over to the water thing. And he's like, okay, I think you, uh, I think you land with one foot in the water and then you step out. I was like, okay. So we did a couple of run throughs and uh, got, got the hang of it. And, and then, you know, went over and started the race. And I, of course I had these like huge, cotton tube socks on which is a mistake uh they, they just like sagging down over my shoes by the end of the race <clears throat> um, but yeah so i just took off again it's like me and like maybe two other people and i started running and i'm going you know i feel like i'm going pretty good it actually didn't feel that fast because if you've ever run the steeple it doesn't really feel that fast for about the first half it just it's kind of that grind that catches up with you and so then i crossed the finish line and it was 
I don't know the exact time. I'll just say like nine ten or something, maybe nine twelve. And like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. You had no idea what you did there running nine ten. Right, yeah, I had no idea. And Rick's like, yeah, I don't know. I think that's pretty good. And and the pole vault coach had no idea. So we got in the van and we drove back. And I I, I probably ran the 1500 that day later after that. Um, and we get back to the hotel. And then there's like the coach, like the coach who was like the distance coach, like Coach Chuck. He's like, oh, like, what did you run? I was like, I did the steeplechase. He's like, oh, what was your time? I was like, I think it was like 912. He was like, what? That like gets you into nationals. Um, so that, that was the first one that, that I ran another one, maybe a couple weeks later at Carlton, which I wore better socks. And I think I had a nine Oh five at that one. And then the, well, like there's probably like the conference meet. Um, and then there was nationals. And so like that nationals would have been my fourth steeple. So you were still new and excitable going to nationals. This wasn't yeah. starting to wear on you yet. No, no. And I never, I didn't hurdle them. I just kind of stepped over them. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, I got into that nap. Well, I, I could go on about the national meet, but, um, well, that's what you're here for. Yeah. Go on about it. All right. Yeah. So that was in Emporia, Kansas. And, um, I think I drove down with my parents and the team had maybe flu or something. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, so the, the, but the it was in Kansas and, um, we're kind of get kind of I'm kind of warming up or something, and then this big thunderstorm blows through, and they postpone the meet. And so I think I'd maybe found a library or something to sit around in, and the thunderstorm blew through, and then it was delayed by a couple hours. And so by the time the steeple rolled around, it was the lights were on, and it was pretty much dark. Um, it was kind of wet and uh, it was kind of drippy, and um, you know, it's uh, like, I remember coach Shook was there and he, we kind of had this little hamstring stretch thing we did, uh, on our team. We did like partner stretching. Um, so he kind of did this little hamstring stretch for me. He's like, he's like, you, I don't, I don't remember exactly what he said, but something along, he was kind of like, he was way more nervous than I was. And he's like, you, you, <laughs> you can do this, man. And so I was like, okay, went out there and the gun goes off. And again, under, if you, when you're ever, you race under the lights, it's so special. Um, and we took off and I, I have really pretty quick reflexes and a quick start. So I like, I was right in the front right away. <clears throat> and then I was like, ah, I'm just going to slow down. And so I, I slowed down and no, and everybody else slowed down and I slowed down some more. And so we're, you know, we're just like barely jogging in the first few laps um, and, until finally somebody took the lead. And I was like, well, if nobody wants to run fast, I'm pretty sure I can outkick a lot of these people. So we'll just jog around and it'll be a lot less tiring. Um, but then finally somebody did pass me and then, you know, kind of the race was on, uh, and it, it came down to kind of a duel towards the end. Um, but it just, you know, again, one of these magical days where it just, it wouldn't have mattered. The time was eight fifty eight I think, but it could have been eight fifty It probably could have been eight forty five It just didn't matter because, you know, it's almost like you didn't get tired and you had speed, you had, you, you kept your like that little agility and stuff like that. And, uh, and that was that. And so, yeah, you cross the line, you're, you're suddenly the national champ and, um, yeah, good times. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. And there is no better feeling in running than running under the lights. It's the best. That late spring, early summer, yep. cool, crisp, but warm. Yep. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but. Cool, crisp, but warm. Yeah. Yeah. 
That air is a little heavy. Yep. The track's probably still radiating some heat, but it's kind of cool from the air. Um, yeah. Wind seems to die down right as you take the line, and yep. the running gods just say, all right, let's PR. Yeah, let's PR. So anyway, that was a lot of talking, but I don't know. It's It was kind of a special time in my life. and um, Yeah. So, But it's, it has shaped, I think it's shaped a lot of, well, A, what's in that book, but B, how I approach coaching with kids too. And I, I don't think that the reason you came on is to give your running biography, but I'm I'm intrigued now. I think the second hardest thing to winning nationals is running the next year. So what 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 hit afterwards? How did your running change? Because it has to change, right? Yep. It's it's not the same anymore. What was what was track and cross like after that? Yeah. So the, and this kind of gets at I would say the second a, a second theme in the book. Um, or just, I would say, a theme with, uh, like, coaching that I give to, well, whoever, whoever is interested. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's like, uh, you know, when I say, like, that national meet was probably my peak. Is like, well, I was never, I never ran that time again in the steeple. Um, I was never national champion again. I, I was still All-American the next three years in the steeple. Um, and then an All-American in cross country, too. But... It just wasn't, I, I never, like, I struggled to have those good races. And if I were to just summarize what happened is you become sort of like, quote unquote, good. And you, you start to probably train like you, you, you just start tra- training harder because you're the good person now. Um, I feel like, uh, like Coach Shook at Mankato, he was, I would say he was kind of like somewhat of a, a hands-off coach. Um, he's a great guy, super guy, great mentor. Um, got married out at his, uh, at his, uh, property out on a lake. Um, just like one of the best guys, but with his coaching style, he was a lot like, well, if you kind of like, or want to try something, just kind of, kind of do it. And so like, I, I sort of took that, uh, I took that and well, literally and figuratively ran with it. And, I just trained too much. I trained not necessarily like I'd run quite a bit in the summer. That wasn't it. It was more just always having to be in front of workouts, doing just really crushing workouts all the time, um, running hard at all the races. And as anybody who's done that knows, like you just can't sustain it for very long. Some people can sustain it longer than others, but eventually you just kind of you sort of like stagnate and flatten out. And the trouble, like, I think, a, and then, so that, that process kind of played out over like the next three years is I just, I, like, I almost got increasingly a little bit worse each year. And maybe like one of my downfalls, which would ordinarily be good is I never got hurt. And even when I was stagnant, I was still good. So it was kind of, there, there weren't like these big red flags, like, wow, he just, he's in the toilet. Or, oh boy, he got, this person got, gets hurt all the time. If he does, does this, it didn't matter. I was, I was so resilient that I could just do anything and it, and I, I, and I could, I could survive it and do good. But the problem was I could, I couldn't do great anymore. Mm. Um, I'm sure I I had races, you know, I had, I had plenty of races that were like, or I had uh, some races that felt pretty good to great, but overall, like at the end of the season, when nationals rolled around, I just, it was, I was going on fumes at, at best. And so 
you know, and that played it. I mean, that really played itself out all through the rest of my collegiate career. And I really ended like my, the last race, my collegiate career, I was just, I wouldn't say depressed, but it was just, I think I was even quoted in like the little Mankato reporter student newspaper is I was, I felt heartless and apathetic by the end. Not how you want to feel. No, it's not. And, and, and like, again, I, I, I don't like to like just blame it on anybody but myself, but I, I just, how would I say this? Like, I think coaching is so much better now than it was in large part because of the internet and shared information. I mean, back then it was just, you just nobody really, I don't know. I, I would, I would read books by like Bill Rogers and like, well, what does that tell you about racing in college? Right. I mean, it, it tells you how Bill Rogers ran mar- for marathons, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was just, uh, information was hard to come by. It, it wasn't quite, you know, the, the, the co- some, there were some coaching changes at Mankato when it got kind of weird. And, um, I, I, you know, I needed somebody to kind of like take the reins of my training and, and adjust it and not make it harder, make it easier. Yeah. And make it so when you got, get to the end of the year, you're just like, you're on fire. You're just, you're like bouncing off the walls and you're ready to go. So that makes sense. You, you, uh, you have to learn those lessons in order to, uh, learn, uh, write a book alone for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then the irony, since I'm probably a little bit slow is like, by the time I fit, I started to really figure things out. I was getting too old to do anything. Not true. <laughs> I, I, I find like, it's interesting when you look back now, cause again, you were speaking like sort of as if you were still in college, the way you were telling that story, not with your current knowledge, of course, it's like a lot of the greatest endurance athletes in the world right now, are following the same damn protocol you followed before your sophomore year of college. They're taking one to three month off seasons where they're cross country skiing instead of running and they're doing a different modality and sure they're working their metabolic fitness, but not the biomechanics of running. And then they come back and they have a nine, seven to nine month season and they build and build and peak every damn year as they should. And then they stop their running and they go back to cross country skiing or rowing and they, they do that cycle so that they're not burnt and obviously it's a yeah. it's some of the best i mean bracken we can think of how many that do that um some of the best in the world so it's just like just interesting to to see even like that paralleled with your sophomore year of college not knowing what you were setting yourself up for yet setting yourself up for it mm-hmm. in, in a sense yeah and that's a depressing feeling i i had i had a senior year of high school that went that way that that what, what did you say uninspired or weak and apathetic like that, every race, like the last three of my senior year, I was relieved just to cross the finish line, knowing stepping to the line with that kind of depressed feeling, thinking like the best thing I can do is go out and hurt this whole time and hopefully run the time I ran last week. You know, having been successful the whole time, but knowing that there's no magic, there's no spark, there's no even thrill to it anymore. Now it's just get it done so that it's over with. And it running's not seen as like a hot streak, cold streak sport, like maybe baseball or basketball where someone gets on fire and they can't miss, but it really is. Someone gets rolling and they don't have to think about racing. They just know they're going to take care of it. And you get hot and the same way, you know, the ball's probably not going to go in. It's the same way in running where you show up and know 
maybe I pop something, maybe I don't, but most likely this is going to be another grind. Yeah. And it's a depressing way to approach running at that time. Yeah. You're really, you're really kind of show up and you're like, well, I mean, maybe some kind of miraculous thing will happen and I'll feel amazing, mm -hmm. but you know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I think, I think we have a hand more than physical. I truly believe we have a handful of mental efforts in us that are our best foot forward a season. That's it. A year, maybe. We only have, let's say, a, what you can fit in the palm of your hand, three to five, maybe, where you go out and you squeeze every ounce of lemonade out of that lemon, right? And the other races, like if you're doing that in workouts every day, if you're yeah. never taking true downtime, never training in other modalities, and you're just beating your head against the wall constantly, like you've used all those, that handful of mental goodness, it's all gone already. You got nothing left. Forget who cares what your body's physically doing. Like, I really believe those mental efforts are like, they're hard to come by and you got to use them sparingly is what I'm saying throughout the season. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. Mm -hmm. Heavy is the crown. I always think when I see the studs who drop off afterwards, you either wear it heavy with pressure or you wear it heavy with all the pressure. Like it's one of the two. And the guy, it sounds like you did that. You had to be the man every step of every run after that. And you see some guys who yeah. they can dog an easy run, they can cruise a workout and they show up and they put the crown on on race day. And other people can't take the crown off for fear that it's, it's not theirs anymore. Yeah. And I, that's, that's pretty, that's a good way to put it. And I, I, I don't recall like, you know, it, it, of course it was my, I wouldn't blame anybody but myself, but it's, uh, I don't, I, I don't really recall like pressure or feeling like I had to do it. It was, it was, I don't know what it was. It was, I don't know, but yeah, but it, it was what, what, whatever, whatever led me to do that. It was, yeah, I just, I, it, it was, I was trying to do it all the time. And, you know, like you look at somebody like a Dick Beardsley who did it for like three years straight. Um, and was, you know, phenomenally successful until everything fell apart. Um, you know, that was kind of, kind of me is like, I could do it and be, and be good. That was, that was probably one of my biggest problems is like, is like mm -hmm. I could do it all the time and be good, but I just, I couldn't do it and, and be great. So I guess I just want to jump right to it then. I don't know, unless you want to dive into what he just said, but I want to know like, so when and how'd you figure it out, Joey? Yeah, well, <laughs> Well, so after college, um, I, I, I kind of made this decision to try to be, um, to try to really make it to the national class. Um, I, you know, I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be ever like a Olympic level or anything, but, it, you know, just to kind of make it into that solid national class. Well, what was trials qualifying then? Was it low 840s? You know, it's, again, this is kind of this, I think things are better now than they were then. I, I didn't even consider running the steeple after college. Uh, there was nowhere. To, where, where, where were you going to go? Right. I mean, you couldn't do it in Minnesota. There was nobody around. You're going to, I suppose I could have gone to LA or something. So you took to the roads? Yeah, right. I, my conclusion was that, well, I probably have to run the marathon because I, I, I couldn't see a route and track. I didn't, you know, again, like a... <clears throat> Um, to look at a Minnesota guy, Bob Kempinen, um, you know, he went to Dartmouth and I think it was Vin Lanana was his coach. Vin Lanana. Now is like the uh, head of the Oregon project or whatever it is, um, or maybe University of Oregon. I, I got that, whatever it is. But, you know, so so Bob Kempinen kind of bumps into Vin Lanana at Dartmouth 
and starts training with him in college. And then, but then, but then he kept being coached by him after college as well, like a really successful coach athlete relationship. But, you know, where I was, it was kind of college ended and, uh, you know, I didn't, there just was no route um, for, for track. It's how it is for a lot of runners. It's like, if you're a track athlete, like you can play pickup basketball, you can get in a flag football league, you can go play beer league softball. If you're like a track athlete, you're, you got one option. It's the roads, unless you're a professional. That's how it feels. Doesn't it, Bracken? I feel like that's how it feels. Like what now? Yeah. There's no middle distance co-ed league. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I just started running miles and, uh, my wife and I had, we lived, we're living in Northfield, great place to run a lot of miles. So for a, a period, let's just say, I don't know, probably like January to June, um, I was running like hundred miles a week, 120, 140, really putting in that like Bill Rogers type mileage. And it was, it was just remarkable. I mean, again, it's like another, another level of, of just sort of like mental and physical toughness was gained during that period. Um, and so I, let's see here. Well, I may be skipping ahead a little bit, but anyways, that I think I missed a year, but, but that doesn't really matter. The point is, is I, I trained a ton, really trying to make it to the next level. And, and I, I was kind of racing and it was, it was tough to like pass up races that I prize money. Mm-hmm. And so I probably raced a little bit too much. Uh, I ran, I ran grandma's marathon. I think I was, I was really primed to run good, but I think I ran like a two twenty one. but again, kind of, kind of, I just sort of, I was probably a little bit overtrained at that point. And then I took like a week off and then I raced like the next week after that, maybe it was two weeks after that I ran an eight K. Um, but it wasn't much longer after that, that I became what you'd like. I went to a doctor actually, I became overtrained to the point where, you know, my, like my resting heart rate was like 80 beats a minute. Um, you, you get really clumsy. So I would just like, just drop stuff and trip upstairs. Um, and, uh, so I go to this family doctor in Northfield, uh, and he's like, you know what? You run too much. <laughs> and it was like, I had a dollar for every time I heard that. Yeah. It was like, well, and in this case, he's like, he's like, you're, you're overtrained. The guy actually knew what he was talking about. He's like, you're overtrained. And he like brought out, he was like, I don't know if he went to print something off on the internet or he's like, yeah, you're just, you got to take like four months off. You're just cooked. Um, and, uh, and so, and so I did. And, uh, and, and that was like, you know, that was a total reset. I mean, it took me after I took that four months off, I got back into running again. And it was an entire calendar year before I could really race. Uh, for some reason, I kept at it. I'm not really sure why. Um, and but 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 I guess kind of the overall point is like I had done it in college. I overdid it in college. I overdid it after college. And and then it was just like I got I got to move on here. And so I got a job at Mayo Clinic, the the job I still have. Um, you know, so we moved to Rochester, and I just didn't have as much time to train. Um, and so I had it become more efficient with how I ran. And, you know, then we had, we had a couple, we had kid, a couple kids and you had to become more efficient yet you're exhausted. And so it was like kind of that, that, that process of like having a job and trying to fit running in that really benefited me because mm. I, ha- I had to figure out a different way to do it. Um, other than just going either high volume or high intensity to where 
Um, I was, I was just, I was overdoing it. And so that, you know, then, you know, I have, I have running buddies. We, we talk, um, like a guy that I always talk running with is like Greg Hexum. He's a pretty good ultra guy up in Duluth, a little, a couple of years older than me. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's all, all these conversations with friends. Like I would say it's, it's, it was kind of like the old fashioned internet, right? Instead of mm-hmm. stuff up, you you talk to people, you've experienced things, you have to change your change your ways to make it fit what you're doing in your life. And I eventually kind of figured it out. It's like you don't have to train hard or run crazy mileage all the time. I still did that sometimes, um, but it doesn't. It, you know, it's it's more kind of selective instances of that that the body that the body can tolerate. Um, but it can't, you can't do it all the time, season after season. It's just, it's such, it's so just dumb that I didn't figure that out sooner. It just, it's ridiculous. I mean, what, <laughs> why couldn't I figure that out? Like my sophomore year or maybe junior year of college, like, oh, this is dumb. I'm obviously training too hard. Like, because I ran poor at the end of the season, is it because what am I out of shape? I mean, that would be inconceivable. But like, like, I think you start to think like, well, maybe I didn't do enough or I didn't train enough or I, I should have done this. Like, it's ridiculous. But, you know, you just kind of like. It's the culture. It's the culture. Yeah. We're all locked into that same thing. Yeah. That the guys who show up out of shape are lazy and the guys who are dogging workouts are lazy. Early season, if someone takes a Thursday workout easy and pops a race Saturday, it's well, yeah, of course, you you took a mini taper into the race. And, and it's there's a bit of the dogma to that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a breakthrough after that? Did you have yes. a couple, did you pop some races? Because the only benefit of overtraining for years is that if you ever recover from it, you've crammed like 10 years of aerobic work into five. Yep. And now you can access it if you ever get around to absorbing it. Yep. I did. And, um, you know, I would, I raced, you know, quite a bit in the Twin Cities, maybe like, I don't know, eight times a year or something like that. You know, all the usuals, uh, it was the human race back then, the getting gear. I, did, I didn't really do marathons again. Um, but I did do, I did do one that I, I dropped out of, but, um, yeah. Can I, okay. Um, b- before I get to that breakthrough, let me just add one more element. I, I, I think it's in the book. I think I'm actually writing a new book and the story anecdote is in the new book. Um, so I, this, my last marathon, I, I trained, I would say smarter, but not smart enough. I trained all summer for twin cities. I felt like I had a great, a great uh, summer of training. It was hot. It was humid, but I just, I got the miles and I felt good. And I, I did this race in Mankato. It was the Mankato alumni race, which is out at coach Shook's farm. It's like basically a section. So it's a four mile, roughly a four mile race on gravel roads. Um, but Leading up to that, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to train for the marathon. I ran, um, I think it was 18 miles. So I got up early, ran 18 miles. And then as I came down the road towards the starting line, they were all waiting there. And right, I didn't even stop. Right when I crossed the starting line, the race started and we started the race. So it was, so it was like maybe it, it was what I was trying to simulate is like that last portion of a marathon. So I'd run 18, maybe it was 20. I think it was 18 miles at, you know, not not just jogging either, like pr- cranking it out pretty good. And then it was a four mile race with all these guys that had just started. Um, I don't I don't think I was able to beat all of them. I think one guy got me, but but it was like a true like hard hard four mile race. You emptied the tank on an eighteen mile pre effort. 
in this instance, I didn't empty the tank because it was, okay. about a month, it was about a month out. Now, if I had just done that, now what I needed to do after that is not much. Okay. But instead, like the next weekend, Adidas was like, hey, we got to just race in Chicago. They're like the Crim, no, it wasn't Crim, Park, some weird suburb where they had this 10 mile run. And, and they're like, we'll pay your way to go. It's like, oh, well, okay. Um, so I went and it was just, it was hot. It was humid. I was still in the tank from this workout and I ran this race and I, and I ran like a mile and the body, my body just fell apart. And, but I like kept running for the rest of the race and finished it. And after that, I got like, I got like a, I got like a little viral illness that like one of these ones where you're kind of burnt out and you get a virus and it lasts for like two months until you stop doing stuff. And, um, and then I, I, I came into Twin Cities, still like kind of sick, but I, I, I ran it anyway and ended up dropping out before you cried. You were so close. Yeah. So and close. So, But that was, there it was again, is it wasn't that workout at Mankato. It was like, I did that and I, for whatever dumb reason, I couldn't not do that 10 mile race or, but if it hadn't been that, maybe it'd have been something else, but like, I couldn't just like ease into it and be ready for that marathon it was you got to keep training um so i think that was like really the point where i kind of really changed my tune with my training and started getting way way more smart after that like final grave disappointment for all the work he put into it um but so now after that i think again pressures of having kids a job um I don't remember how old I was. It was 30 something, but I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go to Mount Sac. Um, it was just, of course, a college race, but they have, they have like these just enormous, like five K, like 50, 60 people in them. Um, so I just like called the Mount Sac guy. I'm like, I'm like 30. Can I race at Mount Sac? He's like, sure. <laughs> so, you know, he puts me in whatever 5k and, uh, and so this, I mean, this is probably some time after that marathon. I, I, I'd have to look at a chronology or something. But so I fly out there. I met up with Chris, Chris Lundstrom, who you probably know. Um, you probably had him on your show. He's a, a Twin Cities regular in the, the running scene. Not yet. Uh, you haven't? Oh, you got to talk to Lundo. He's a few spots underneath you. We had to get to you first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Lundo and I, we stayed at, uh, oh, like I think at my stepbrother's little apartment there we drove to mount sack under the lights that night a 5k got on the track and just started running it and you know there's 50 guys and i'm kind of in the back like ah this is what a great experience ah this is so fun and then you know like all of a sudden like you know i noticed like i'm passing people and i just kept passing people and then i come across the mile like what that was like a 430 mile that's crazy i'm feeling great and so we kept running and, and uh, you know, passing and passing. You spiked up for the first time in years? Possibly. I, I feel like I must have done another track race somewhere, but, I mean, it was in the Mount Sox in April, so it's, there's not much you can yeah. do in April. Um, and, and pretty soon I catch up to Lundstrom, who's on Team USA in Minnesota at the time, and, and we're maybe like sixth and seventh or something, and, and we're under the lights. It's Lundo and I just running together. It was like one of the great moments of, of my running career. And it's like me and this guy I stayed with, or we stayed with, I know him, he's from Minnesota and we're just cranking it. And we come down that last hundred meters he, and he got me by about a second, but it, 
I like crossed the line and I think I was, well, I was 1411, which would be like a, a 5k PR by like 30 seconds. Wow. And it just, like, I was just, I crossed the line and I was just, it was like I'd won the Olympics or something. It was almost embarrassing. I hope it's not on film. Like I, I raised my hand <laughs> in the air and you know, like, I'm at like eighth at this like level 5k. And I like raised my, it was like, it was kind of back to that steeplechase race. I didn't really care what the race was or what the place was. The time was really exciting for me, but it was more just like, I had, I had a good one and I felt great the whole time. It was like another one of these magical ones. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just like, I was like on crack or something. I was on drugs afterwards. It was so amazing. Um, so, so that, I mean, so that was, that was like kind of that start of that, that kind of a newfound way to have, to find success with running, um, was, was that effort. And, you know, I ran, a, when I ran at Stanford later that spring, I ran a 10 K, um, you know, I just, I kind of like, well, screw it. I'm just going to fly to California and do track races whenever I want to, if I can, if I can get in. Um, yeah, so that was like a whole new, you know, you kind of think you're over at sort of each phase. It's like, ah, it's, everything's all in the past. But then I kind of started this, that new phase. It was, it was really awesome. It was a great one. People would just like stop listening now. Let's say they're like, I'm done listening. They've already heard everything they need to hear through your trials and tribulations about managing the periodization of your season and not cooking too hard and more work doesn't always equal better. Like you learned man, you, you walked yourself into the wall a lot before you took the door, didn't you? But if you can share that with others, then it was all worth it, you know? Yeah. We like talk about, we have a few true professionals in our sport, which means they make their living racing and through sponsorships. And you will see somebody quit their job and go all in. And I can't even really think of one where that was a true success story. They typically overdo it. They're burnt and they can never find the magic they had when they were balancing life on the day to day. And it's just something we've seen time and time and time again in our sport. And it just kind of parallels a lot of the things that you're talking about. Um, we're like balance wins every freaking time. Yep. And I just, you outline that really nicely. Yeah. And I, you know, you might say, well, the Kenyans live in these camps and don't, and train all that. It's like, yeah, but you know what? They're better at just sitting around and doing nothing than we are. And the Kenyans run nine minute pace when they're capable of running four thirty pace. They're very good at managing their efforts. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You were going to say something, Brad. Nah, just, this is the kind of story that gets you fired up to go race. Cause everyone hears something in that story that they identify with. You know, I'm sitting here thinking like, that's exactly how I felt. And you know, I, I quit running after my freshman year of college for a year. I was so fed up with going hard every day and not getting better. I'd call, I call Holden probably five times that year and be like, dad, I am rolling right now. You would not believe the workout I just did. And I never ran well. I trained really well, but you don't want to train well. <laughs> you want to train successfully. Yeah. That, I mean, that kind of became one of my mantras is, and again, that's, I wish I had known this earlier, but it's like, whenever I hear somebody out there, like, and they're amazing workouts, I'm like, well, yeah. or I mean, they're not whatever that goal races. They're gonna, they're not gonna run well. When, when, when you hear, when you hear, well, oh, they did this amazing workout. Even if you just threw the physiological stuff aside, sometimes the worst thing mentally is to show up to a race confident, like truly confident, knowing I felt so bulletproof during this workout. You forget how bad races and running should hurt. 
And when you expect anything less than that, getting the full experience is a system shock that you cannot handle. And sometimes like, yes, physiologically, it sucks to overtrain. I quit running for a year in college because of that. But psychologically, it sucks to nail every single workout sometimes because races punch you in the face. Mm, you said the, the arm out thing. I, I, I almost sent it to Kirk. I uh, didn't realize, I just ran this last weekend. I ran my first legitimate competitive race in two years. And there's a finish line picture. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> my arms are out and my face is split into this goofy grin and my wife's making fun of me, but it was uncontrolled. I didn't win. <laughs> I didn't even win. But you would have thought I won going across the line because it recaptured for a second how good racing can feel. So listen to your story. All I want to do is go out and race now because, yeah, we all get something from this. Yeah. Now, now you follow the plan, Bracken. You don't go racing all, all willy-nilly. Well, that's the other thing. Like, I hear him talking. What, Kirk last week said, you're allowed to go race. I wasn't planning on this race. You're allowed to go race, but you have to go back to training. He, he doesn't need my permission, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> He's my voice of reason. But he drove that home. You have to go back to it. You can't now split off and go do another race the next weekend and another like change your, you just have to go back to exactly what you should do. And so, yeah, everything you said, like Kirk said, you could stop the interview right here. This episode could be done and we could take away very good actionable data, but we'd be missing out on the real like specifics of race great when it counts. Now we know how to not race great when it counts. <laughs> I want to get into the, now let's do, what are the action points from all this? Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about that? Why don't we, I got your book. It's actually run great when it counts, which also would imply race great when it counts. So what yeah. I want to do is spend like a few minutes on your book. I want to spend a few minutes learning you as a, your current coaching role uh, with high school athletes. And then we got, I got this very official chicken scratch list of questions that I want to roll through in an informal way. But um yeah, I, I want to hear about this book. When did you write it? Um, what inspired you to write it? And like, what's like a brief overview of the context or content? Yeah, I, I don't remember. What, what, is there a date on the inside? I think it was like 2010, 12 or something. Uh, he keeps talking. I'm, I'm filtering through <laughs> as, as you can tell, I'm not a really good chronology person. When I, when 2012, I, like, 2012. 2012, okay, yeah. And you used your formal name, John, so we knew you're taking it seriously. It says John <laughs> Keeler in here. Um, right. So, uh, you know, what inspired me to, to write that book is 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 basically don't do what I did. Is how how can I save kids? Or or you know that that book is really targeted toward kids. You can you notice it's like really. T super short little chapters. Um, it's pretty, it's thin. It's not, not a lot of reading. It's not, it's not meant to be an in-depth guide to something. It's meant to just little points that high schoolers might may pay attention to. About 115 pages. Yep. So it's, uh, it was just, don't, don't, don't try to waste less time in your life doing, doing what I did. Um, and I had been, I was not an official high school coach at the time that I wrote it, but I had started like this little mini business where I would kind of consult with, with high school kids. And the, the typical kid I would talk to would be like a kid that was good. And now they're not, they're not as good and they don't know why. And so I would help them figure out why they're not as good as they were and try to turn things around for them. So I was, I was kind of like a, a turnaround expert for these kids. 
And so it was essentially the stuff that I would tell the kids. I just, I wrote it and put it in the book. And also like for my, my job too, I'm a, I write uh, for the Mayo Clinic and well, a publication and it's like, I'm doing like health type writing every day. So it was, a, it was a pretty easy to, well, it was not easy. Um, it's, it's kind of my natural thing to try to encapsulate, crystallize um, health or health related type stuff into, into simple and understandable language for, for the, for reading. So yeah, all those things combined to kind of inspire that book. It's so needed. We, Kirk, how many athletes have we had on here or coaches who were either phenoms or average or somewhere in between, but every single one of their issues that they ran into in college or as a pro runner or as just an amateur runner, they all started in high school. Like it's very fertile ground right then. You are not a well-rounded, fully crafted human. You're not a finished product. And things that take seed there, without even you realizing it, that sets the framework for what you become later. And and I think it's a missed a missed audience, which is targeting the athletes before they're screwed up. Yeah, or you know, you, you know what what they end up being. Think of what a lot of kids end up being is not running if they counter some some sort of like obstacle like I, I mentioned low iron in the book there i mean if you're really low on iron and running feels terrible you'll probably quit if you're a high school kid so it's trying to keep kids involved in the sport in a way that feels good mm-hmm. so what would be some of like the um i mean i can read the bullet points off the back i got them right here but like what would be some of the bullet point subjects in the book um if you break it down just a little little further for us yeah well, you know, like when I when I work with somebody that's having troubles and trying to turn turn things around for them, um, you know, probably like a key a key question I would ask is, well, what's wrong? And when you think about like what would be wrong, it could only in a high school kid. It's probably more in a high school kid than an adult, but it can only be like three to five things. It can be a health related issue. Um, it could be that you're out of shape. It could be that, again, this would be high school specific, but there's, there's all kinds of like puberty and kind of like being a high school kid type issues uh, that would be there that wouldn't necessarily be there for an adult. Um, so it's, so it's a health issue. You're not in shape, puberty type stuff, or you go too hard. Did I miss anything? I mean, I think that's kind of about it. So it's like four or five things. It's got to be. It's got to be one of these things. It's not. It's not super complicated. So you start to drill down and like, okay, is it a health issue? And so the like the book or with if I'm talking to somebody or in that book, it's you know the some key health issues there would just be the big one is iron, especially for high school girls, but it happens in boys too. Um, you know, let's let's first things first. Let's check your iron levels and and see what see what they are. Maybe they're fine. Maybe they're not. Um, is it, is there like a, a, you know, injuries? Could it be, uh, you know, you know, there, there's just, there's like a number of, or you could say like, well, maybe there's just a health issue that we don't know about. Um, uh, something that's been undiagnosed. I don't, I don't know, really know what it'd be, but it can happen. Um, and then there's kind of like injuries. It's kind of a health issue too. If you kind of like keep having a, an injury, how, how can we, how can we figure this injury out and, and improve? So that there's your, there's a lot, so a good portion of that book is is uh, is health related. 
And then there's the, am I out of shape question, which if you're working with like a, like a higher end high school kid is it's impossible. There's, they're, they're not, there's no way they're out of shape, but usually what, what kids and adults, a lot of people think is when things aren't going well, when they're, when they're not running as well as they should, or they're, they get into a race and they fall apart in the second half of the race, the, like the kind of the twisted conclusion is that, well, I need to like redouble my efforts Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know what, guess what? You're, there's no way you can be running as much as you're running or running, you know, in high school racing every single week or, or a couple times a week. There's no way you're out of shape. So we can, we can pretty much almost always rule that one out unless it's a kid that, you know, I, I can't imagine a scenario where a kid would be out of shape when they come to me with a problem. So then it comes down to kind of like puberty type issues. Um, I don't really go into that too much, but um, it, it, it happens. I mean, kids, you can, you can kind of get some younger kids that are really, are really good. And they, they, because you don't want to look like a sixth or seventh grader the rest of your life, you have to grow. Um, and when you grow, you gain weight um, and the body might change shape a little bit. Um, happens to boys, happens to girls. And sometimes that can, you know, lead to you're really good. And then there, you, you, you decline and you dip. And, and so we have to figure out where, where, okay, if that happened, where are we in this decline? Um, and you have to like educate the kid and the parents about that decline and that you can't promise anything, but you can probably say, you know what, here's the thing. You were really good when you were a pixie. Now you've grown and you've declined and your body is just trying to catch up with all that growth. And so here's the thing. You have to not worry, not panic about it. You got to just keep doing what you're doing and not overdo it. And eventually most people kind of, I shouldn't say most, a lot of people will kind of get back, like will kind of rise back up as their body figure, you know, gets used to being a new, a new thing and you can be good again. So you have to kind of coach them through that because if you're in the bottom of that, you're thinking all kinds of things. Maybe you develop an eating disorder because you think you're getting too big. Um, maybe your your parents may or may not. Some a lot of parents are great. Some parents don't really know, and they're like pressuring the kid to try harder. A lot of people think it's mental. It's mental that I'm not running as well. So that's like a. I don't know how much uh, if I go into that quite detail in the book, but you've got to be looking at where where are you with that puberty that puberty kind of dip and curve that can sometimes happen. Mm-hmm. And then, like, kind of the main fourth thing would be. Okay, if it's not any of those things, you're training too hard. You're you're racing too much. You're you're probably doing too many workouts, um, doing them too hard. And then that's you know that's probably the I don't know. I guess with with kids I've worked with, they've had they've had problems in all those areas, and it just kind of depends on the kid. But often it comes down to we got we got to dial things back with your training um, in some in some way, shape, or form that. Um, that allows again those great races to happen instead of stagnation and being good or maybe being below par. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The uh, I assume the most common answer is typically the you're overtrained. I could be wrong, um, but it's just so contradictory. We think like the answer to being better is work harder and do more and be yep. everything for everybody. And like, man, seventy five percent of the time the answer is do less or at least do it smarter. It's, it's really glorified, isn't it? Like 
the hard work and the grind. We talk about it right now. We've been on a big off season and base phase kick as people are just basically the non-glorious time of training. We talk about, you know, you just kind of grinding it out over the winter and you're not getting your kudos on Strava, but you're out there putting the time in. Sometimes that can even be misconstrued is like going out and hitting it, going out and hitting it, going out and hitting it. And then the season starts and they're already toast before they started. And it's just, you see it all the dang time. And there's great books out there now and there's great leaders that help people understand that, but you take yourself back. I mean, if I had a, my coaches were great in high school and college, they were fantastic, but we never discussed anything like this. It was go hard and then go harder. And nobody ever talked about it. And I got to imagine having somebody like you in their corner as a high school kid is in a, a lot better place moving forward into college and adulthood than the typical high school coach. Well, yeah, I mean, I hope so. But I, I would also add that there are so many great high school coaches out there. I, you know, I, like I kind of wrote this book and I sort of thought that yeah, I kind of got an edge over other people with knowledge here, but there's so, there's tons of great coaches out there. There's probably, I think it's like, again, like with the internet and shared information and more books, like, I mean, Matt Fitzgerald's got some great books on this topic too. Um, people just kind of, I think people are better at it now than they used to be, um, inclu- including high school coaches. I mean, I, I think I agree with you. But at the same time, you I mean, you talk about the excess of information and the access to it, but it still doesn't come with like a a guide to context and clarity. And so while it's easier to find for the coaches, it's also easier to find for the parents and for the athletes. And there's forever there's been the parents say, well, Jimmy's doing this. Do you really want your scholarship? And but now they have real easy bullet points to say 80 mile weeks or three quality sessions or he's doing 10 mile tempos everywhere. It's the coaches. You're right. I think there's never been so many good high school coaches, but there's never been so much confusing information out there on the context of how do I even take this in as a 16 year old kid? And that is, it is as dangerous as it is powerful, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. I want to move to your, uh, coaching specifically before we get into like our, um, our questions for you. Can you tell us like where you coach, how long you've been coaching, all that stuff? Um, so I, I first started coaching on uh, with uh, our Nordic ski club here in town. And, uh, and then I moved, I, I still do that, but then I moved into, that was maybe, maybe 12 years ago. And then eight years ago, I, uh, there was an opening at Century High School here in Rochester. And I took the girls spring track, uh, coaching position. Um, so the person that left for that spring track position also then w- it was inconclusive at the time, but she, uh, she eventually decided not to coach cross country as well that fall. So then I, that's, that's when I started coaching girls cross country as a head coach at century. And that was eight years ago. So this, this year was my eighth year. And, uh, yeah, since then I've, I've done, uh, a head coach cross country all those years, I've done, uh, again, assistant distance coach and track for, hmm, I'll say like five years. And then the, the time commitment just got, got to be too, too much for me. And, uh, and then for the last, I think three years of, uh, girls cross country, <clears throat> I have a, uh, a co-head coach. So I kind of felt like I couldn't quite, I couldn't, couldn't do it all myself. And a, a really good guy moved to town. And so we've been co-head coaches for girls cross country. And then he took over track, doing the track in the spring for the girls. 
So it's a little bit complicated, but a lot, lot of irons in the fire. There was, I think there was one or two years where I did all three. So you go, you know, like the, the uh, end of the season banquet occurred. And then like the next day would be the, the preseason bank or, you know, meet, meet the parents or something for the next sport. <laughs> that, that got to be a little bit too much. <laughs> that is a lot. So what, what's, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want you to give away the whole book because I do want people to, to buy the book and read the book, but you have athletes now you have children under your care. And in a lot of ways, the general running community are high schoolers minus the freedom to sleep and eat whenever they want. They're new to running. So what are the specific action points you have for your kids? Like we know, all right, let's make sure we're not overtrained and that'll get us to championship season intact. But do you consider yourself a someone who specializes in peaking or arriving or someone who considers himself an expert in avoiding the fallout, which one do you, I mean, it's kind of this different size of the same coin, but do you have a specific approach to conference, regional state, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think probably that specific question, I probably, I'm probably more on the waiter side. Um, I, I, I kind of like, again, I, I may be a little bit too mystical on this, but I, I sometimes feel that um, like those great races, you can plan everything exactly right. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to happen. And then they can happen at weird times when you don't expect. So I kind of like, I'm probably more like the, like the gutter guards on the bowling in the bowling alley, you know? So the girls, the ball kind of rolling down the, as long as they're in the alley, I'm I'm keeping them in the alley. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're not bouncing out into the gutter or going off into the next lane. So if I can keep them in the alley, I can, I can kind of tolerate a pretty, pretty wide range of, of what, what that kid can do because kids are also different. Um, And then when it comes to that championship races, yeah. So it's, we're just kind of like, we're, we're setting the stage for success, but I think like a really crucial thing in high school coaching is that, you know, they call it joysticking when the coach is like, trying to control every single movement on on the court or the mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. I, I really back away from that and so like when i'm on the starting line and they're going to run the section meet it's like hey you know what to do we talked about it go do it and then you know you walk away you know you don't say too much because i don't i don't want to be out there joysticking um so it's yeah, so it's that of i'd say probably more avoidance and and kind of letting the girls kind of like kind of discovered on their own a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We uh we have the title of our episode. It'll be uh Joey Keeler gutter bumper. How's that sound? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say joysticking. Joysticking. No. Gutter bumper. <laughs> gutter bumper. We'll just let them wonder until they listen. So kind of in parallel with that last line of reasoning then is I think one of the toughest things high school coaches run into, and I've I've coached at the high school level myself, track and cross. And it is a constant battle between I want to train the kids so they'll be at their best and ADs or assistant coaches or principals who want you to win dual meets and quad meets and score points all the way through. And it's, I really respect the coaches who can navigate that because it was difficult. I don't think I ever struck a great balance with that. So again, I think that relates to the every man, every woman running community, which is there's a five local 5k every weekend if you want it. In OCR, there are races everywhere. They reward racing more with bigger medals. So what is that strategy and that theory for you of racing throughout a year? Obviously, it's a little different in cross country, but do you like let the reins off every race and say, we need every point? Or do you do you have a strategy to the flow of the season? Yeah, um, 
No, we, we definitely uh, pick different effort levels for different races. Um, we, you know, I think with high schoolers, you're, you're kind of a bit, I would say you're pretty much locked into racing every, every once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to kind of think when I first started, I was like, this is ridiculous. So they're racing every week. Well, let's cut a couple races off. But there was, it was like mutiny on the bounty because they, that's what they, they, they love. I, they love getting on the bus. They like talking. They like going to the meet. They like running it. You know, if you don't have one every week, it's kind of like you just have to. Um, so then it's okay. So we have to have a week, a meet every week. Um, although I will add that next year, I think we're going to try one off week. Um, I know some teams do that. I think it's probably a pretty good idea. Um, good luck. But yeah, but these but kids get, kids get bored, so you you got to race, and then it's like, well, okay, if we're at this race, we're gonna do you know we this is a big invitational. We're really gonna go and and run hard and try to try to do our best here. If it's a smaller one, it's it's hard to get them to do it, but um, we we've had success, especially this year, with okay, this is a smaller meet you have to, we have to go, you have to go like a four fifths effort. And and they're usually pretty good, good about it. So you can, you know, like if you run a 5k distance at a four fifths effort, that's a nice tempo run. And it, it can be, you know, it's a good workout. Another element to manage that racing is we, we only do one workout a week and then a race. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't get three in. And we've tried over the years. And that third one, I'm not saying there could be some great, group of of kids that is really gung-ho and and mature and and capable that could do that but i think most kids too too hard too harder efforts and when i say harder i don't mean to the well necessarily but but a race and a a, a decent workout is in that's about all you can do and probably a long run in there um so it's so just kind of just trying to tone down it's it's not is it a rate you know just like you can only have so many efforts in a in a week or a course over the Mm -hmm. And you got to tone some of them back. So what do you like to do then in season? Again, without giving away all the, the secrets, yeah. you have a race non-negotiable every week. And some weeks you can negotiate the effort. Maybe you hold back through the mile. Maybe you just run your four-fifths effort. Do you balance? Do you change the flow of your workouts throughout the year to match those? Or do you just like to say, this is what I think we get the, mess, the best bang for our buck on this style of workout. We have to race. We're going to try to get a long run. So how do you approach quality sessions throughout a cross country year where you're racing weekly? Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've, I really feel that uh, with that frequent racing, whether it's track or cross country, you probably do not need to do like a five out of five effort workout ever. Um, and I mean, maybe like one, or, or like that, 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 that five out of five might come from doing like an extra mile repeat. That's not necessarily faster, but it's like more, a little expansion of the intense volume. Um, but it's not like we should never be finishing workouts com- completely just spent. Um, we should be finishing workouts feeling like I could do another, another interval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just feel like if you're racing that much, you don't, you don't need hard efforts. You're getting a hard effort every well, virtually every week, unless you have a race where you you run a little bit easier. Um, so is that the ideal way to train? I don't think it is, but yeah. you, some things are just baked into it that you have to like again. This racing every week, well, that's just baked into it, and you got to you got to figure out a way around it. Sounds reflective of our friend John Yatskow, doesn't it? He was uh, train easy, race hard, so to speak, and it's like yeah. you're gonna save you're gonna save that big one for race day. 
And if you try to do it in workouts and in races, you're going to end up like, uh, oh, I don't know, John Keeler in junior and senior year of college. <laughs> you don't want, you don't want that. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, it, you know, and also like I, one thing I, something I didn't really realize about coaching was kind of like, I won't say that what, what you do for a workout doesn't really matter at all, but it kind of doesn't. Like I, I would say, give me, if I could write down 20 different kind of workouts on a little piece of paper, throw them into a, a, a hat and just, I could just pick one out once a week. It, to me, it doesn't like it, those, those fine details seem to be not as important as kind of the grand scheme of things. Um, so, so I, I don't, I really don't worry about workouts that much. I just kind of pick something that's about right. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of, is if you've coached high school, there's so many other factors. Like if, if we have 50 girls on the team, some are, can barely get around the block and others are going to go to state. So you've got to mm-hmm. manage this large group of people, um, w- with whatever workout you pick. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot that kind of fences you in with, with the training with high school, but. I like that you said that though, because inherently we get lost in the weeds as runners or as coaches that the right workout mix is the only way. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Drew Hunter, Ludon Valley, you know, all of that, the the famous high school running program right now that's churned people through. And they've got a lot. Uh, Tom Schwartz, he was a UW lacrosse guy. So I was aware of his work before he started working with high schoolers. And they ha- they've got a lot of fame and notoriety for for that, um, what do they call it, critical velocity training and everything like that. And I think people are doing really well with that, but not because it's the perfect workout, but because it's almost always a four-fifths effort like you talked about. The workout itself is irrelevant. They're fresh and they can develop. And that's the key to novice running is you respond to anything as long as you don't burn out. Yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, kind of a point too on those, some of those coaches, it's, again, it's like, it's one thing if you got like a handful of really great runners to kind of like dial in efforts and they, they listen mm-hmm. to everything you say and you can, you can really manipulate. But again, if you've got 50 kids, um, yeah. just kids are just, they're great, but they, they're just kind of dumb too. So you've got to, you know, it's, it's a kind of a whole different coaching ball game between what Tin Man can do and what some like a couple of guys with 50 girls ranging in age from you know 18 to 12 can do. <laughs> this isn't a shot at him or anyone individually, but no, yeah, great, great coaching isn't necessarily taking greatness and making it greater. It's taking average to below average and making them love what they're doing and succeed along the way. Yeah. Again, not a shot at any of them. Yeah, I, and I like your analysis. Of, I, I really like reading Tin Man stuff, um, but it, it does kind of when you kind of boil it down, it's sort of like kind of four fifths effort. Yeah, it's good stuff. Of all of everything he's ever said, I think the best thing he said is keep the ball rolling, and it took on a life of its own. And I don't even know if he intended it to be the mantra or not, but that's it, right? When you're a novice, keep the ball rolling. Get the workouts in stress about what percentage of lactate or VO2 max you're going to be at when you're in like year 10. Yeah. Yep. I think you're the first guest in almost two years of this podcast that said the workout itself may not even be the most important thing. Take a step back, take a chill pill while you're at it. And just let's look at this thing from like a macro perspective. Yeah. You know, that's just, 
we get we get so we overcomplicate things constantly. And Bracken and I are both coaches, um, like customized one-on-one coaching. And I mean, our athletes get into the weeds, don't they, Bracken? At times, splitting hairs about but absolutely everything. And it's kind of just refreshing to be like, I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to tell you that I could pick workouts out of a hat and still get good results at the end of the year because we're moving the puzzle pieces appropriately. We're managing our efforts. That's all that really matters. And and in fact, as a weird aside to this, like I've tried coaching some adults over the years and I'm a miserable failure because mm-hmm. adults mm-hmm. want a plan and they want it detailed out and they don't want to have to think about anything. And that's, I just, I can't, I'm like, well, let's just, let's let's go find a hat and write down some workouts. You know, like nobody adult wants to pay 50 bucks a month to draw workouts out of a hat. Um, So it's like, I've I've been a terrible failure as an adult coach in in that regard, because um, yeah, adults, it's a different, you know, and and, well, and with the girls on the high school team, I don't have to tell them. They can think that I'm at home, like carefully calculating everything out. They don't know that I just have a Rolodex of workouts and just pick one and we go with it. Look at the weather, you know, <laughs> you know, is it that loose for real or are you over exaggerating? And now I'm curious. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I'll take with like uh, with coaching. Uh, so I, by the, the fact that I have a co-head coach, but we sometimes have like six or eight coaches. We don't need them. And most of them are volunteers, but I'm kind of like a more the merrier type person with coaching. Um, and like, well, just tell me a workout. Give me a workout. We can do it. We'll figure it out. It's, you know, it's again, it's like, it's that those exquisite details aren't as important as the general thing. Now, if you say, oh, we're going to go run super hard mile repeats or whatever, it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's not going to work. But here's how we can do mile repeats. Um, it, it, there's just so many interesting places around town here in Rochester. Most people don't realize it's very hilly and varied with a lot of valleys and stuff. You don't know it if you drive through on the freeway. Uh, but there's just so many great, weird places to do workouts. We've there's one spot where there's a two mile continuous uphill. So we've, we've gotten parent drivers and had the girls do two mile continuous, you know, repeats up the hill and then drive them back down and do it again. Um, you know, anything from that to, uh, you know, just play with the landscape and find some interesting fun stuff to do. Keep it interesting for kids. But yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, I, I would say, you know, yeah, we probably emphasize a little more, kind of like hills and stuff in the first half of the season. And then of course, in the last few weeks, we just kind of do some light interval type workouts. So we're, we're not doing, so we probably, t- I guess you call it tapering a little bit to rest up towards the end of the season. But just to clarify, because there are people who run wild with anything that we say or that they hear. Is it that you're randomizing workouts or that you have a theme for that part of the year and you have a bunch of different workouts that can all serve the purpose? Um, I, well, I think having a few different coaches involved, I have to be a little bit more just personally, I have to be a little bit more by the book. So probably, yeah, like, okay, we're, we're probably not going to do a big hill workout in, uh, you know, two weeks before sections. Um, so we, we kind of do that hill, but like, I feel like I would say if I was choosing myself, I would choose probably just about anything, any time of year. Really? With, with, with a, with a little bit of a rest, you know, you kind of rest up in the last, last couple weeks, couple, three weeks. So I would do, I would do mile repeats, you know, like a week before sections conference, maybe, mm. but like, how are you doing those mile repeats? 
you know, is it more of a cruise effort or is it right, you're going super hard? I mean, that's the, kind of the important element. Um, I, I would probably do hills up until a couple weeks before section, but I got to be like a little, a little normal with other coaches around. Part of the conversation is, is the exact reason why I'm glad we had you on because <laughs> of, we've had you on because of different perspective, right? Like, like this philosophy, especially dealing with high school kids is vastly different than, than dealing with an adult who's been running for 30 years or anything in that nature. So it's just like, it's, it's a bit refreshing. And you want to know why? Because I believe you, like I buy into that 100%. And, and I come up with periodized and peaking and tapering workouts. And, and, you know, I have a method to my madness, much like Enelbrack and you do, but like, ultimately at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think you're right. You got a handful of things that work. And as long as you take a step back and hard stimulus and proper recovery, like you're going to get yourself 95% of the way there. Bracken always says, and not saying your plan is bad by any means, but saying a, like a poor plan followed perfectly is a good plan. And a perfect plan followed, you know, poorly is a terrible plan. So it's like, it's like a case of that. And, and I buy into what you're saying, to be honest with you. And so, and then for myself, and this is again, why I'm a, I'm a terrible adult coach. So, I mean, for probably 15 years or more. So this is like running, you know, like some pretty, pretty, pretty great efforts. Um, like I, I don't have a, I don't keep a log book. I never plan anything. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I just like, I just kind of like, I think like, okay, I think I'm going to run at noon today. Like, what's the weather like? Kind of, what do I feel like doing? Um, I don't know, maybe like tempo run or something. I kind of have my little set routes around here that I do. And like, I, like, I don't, I don't plan any, I never plan anything for my training, whether it's, you know, like I, yeah, I pretty much never do. There's freedom to bet. Yeah. And, and I think you could be, uh, if, if there are people that disagree with this, I think you could be forgiven for whatever their misgivings are because you felt this, you showed up to a 5k and ran fourteen eleven off post-marathon training you've you've had your proof is in your own pudding that you've trained for a 5k and run 30 seconds slower than when you train for something else and you've come to your realization that fitness isn't fitness but confidence is confidence yeah so and if i were to add to that too is like i think a crucial element there is like i i I retired from racing i don't know if i call it retiring but i kind of quit racing about age 42 so i went from age 16 to age 42 and I, I never, other than that one period when I was overtrained, like I never, I raced continually that entire time. So that's like what, 30 years or something. Mm-hmm. So that, like in the second half of that, like I, I feel like I'm, I, I would basically, it's this terrible thing that's, I wish it was more lucrative, but like, like I'm an, I'm, a, I'm like a training artist. So I can just, I can just like sit around and just sort of pick some, something out of thin air and do it. And it's going to work for me. Um, but now if you're working with more adults that are not that experienced, you know, I think, I think a plan is, there's nothing wrong with a plan. There's nothing wrong with period periodizing. Um, but as you can see, like if you were to like do a survey of great coaching methods throughout the ages, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's like any and everything seems to kind of work if, if it's sort of, if, if it's applied in a good way. You always see the pick the workout out of the hat theme in all those books. That's the commonality. For sure. <laughs> it doesn't sell. It's, yeah. So, it's, but, 
but it's like I, I'm so in tune with what I'm doing. I, I, like I, I just don't I don't need I don't I don't need it. But yeah, and but and that's my personality too. I'm kind of scatterbrained, and I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of different ways work. What it tells me then is that you must be very good at getting kids to believe that they're ready to race. That at some point, knowing I'm ready and enjoying what I'm doing does matter as much as the workouts. You know, I mean, so again, you've, you've coached high school. Like I, I almost, it's just weird. It's like, it's, it's so much more to me, like elemental than that. <clears throat> like my, like a key thing for me is, is just do the, do the girls just want to show up and, and that's like having fun. Mm-hmm. maybe like having donuts after a run or something um we just talked about that flag football disc golf pizza runs so many of these soft factors that when if you never had coached high school kids you would just think that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard it's like how what are you planning for your workouts like the kids just don't really it, the kids i have anyway they don't seem to really care that much what the workout is they don't know what's good for them they don't know what's bad for them um but if you can get enthusiasm and buy-in and, and you know, coach, kid, coach kids not to complain and be cynical, um, th- these factors are, to me, just so much more important than to, to kids. And I don't think – I think that's what kids kind of like that, – that's – you know, you mentioned how, does, how do you get this influence a kid in high school to be their best as an adult. Um, just love and enjoyment of the sport is is so crucial. I think that's uh, pr- probably to me the, the top thing. Be, being mm-hmm. being nice to each other on the team. I mean, th- those are huge. Into adulthood, I feel like it's the same thing if it's going to be sustainable. <laughs> I really do. What do we always say? Running and racing hurts way too much to do it for the wrong reasons. It's way too unpleasant if you don't actually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do now is um, I want to jump into some questions, Bracken. I'm cutting us off, okay? And if you could, Joey, um, we typically don't get very structured on this podcast, as you've noticed. Um, and this is the only time in our coaches series that we really have. But can you answer these? I know you're a very high-end athlete yourself, and we've had other high-end athlete coaches on. I would actually like you to answer from the new athlete or the high school athlete perspective. Um, are you cool with that, Bracken? Yeah, I'm on board. Okay. Yeah. So I'm pretending to be a new a new kid. Yeah, like I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, oh. sure. I'm asking. You ask the question. It'll make sense once he asks the first question. But like answering it for a novice rather than an expert. Gotcha. Yeah, or a high school kid. So, um, and some of these are pretty elementary, but it'll facilitate conversation. Um, and we got maybe 20 minutes or so to try to wrap this up. So, yeah. Um, a couple of philosophy questions, okay? Um, what is your philosophy on strength training for, uh, runners? And again, we're looking at, let's look at like high schoolers or newbies, let's call them, whether they're 10 or they're 30. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I, in our situation, I, I think, I think it's, I think it can be beneficial. And it, it, again, it's like, how, how is it applied? Um, so it would be. In our case, like at our, at our weight room, it's we have this rinky-dink weight room. We have a very a good weight coach, very well-meaning, good guy. 
but you can only do so much when there's, you know, 150 football kids running around all over the place. Um, and so in, in our case, as a practical matter to get 50 girls into a weight room and do anything productive, it just doesn't work. And so we don't do it. And so we do, we try to do body weight stuff on our own outside and throw, throw COVID into that too, uh, with being indoors. Um, having said that in a, in a setting where you could get girls to do a few really good exercises in weightlifting, I would have them do it. If I could pick one thing, I would probably have girls or, or boys do a deadlift, like max, probably max weight on a deadlift, do a warm up and then a max, one max set of like four or five. I can't argue with that. It's probably the biggest bang for your buck exercise out there. I think so. It could cover so many things. I mean, a clean is great too. It's harder to do for a kid. Like a deadlift's simple, gets that core. And if you're lifting heavy weight, that's hard to lift. It's like that ultra fast twitch muscle simulation that you don't get any other way. Do you think there's like too young of an age where you shouldn't be under weights or heavy loads? Do you think it's like, oh, the juniors and seniors could, or the freshmen and sophomore? Do you feel there's always that debate? Like how how old is or how young is too young, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's not, it's, oh, another way to look at it too is if I can get a kid to exercise for an hour, I want them running. Um, so, so, so weight, weightlifting for me would be set, kind of second fiddle to, to running stuff. Um, so, so I, you know, so if you're young, a little bit younger, you just don't want to do it. Um, it's a crowded situation. Um, there's a lot of, like, if it just doesn't work out and you don't want to do it and maybe you're a little young, just, I'd skip it. I'm sure there's a never, like a Kenyan has probably never lifted a weight in any of their lives and they do all right. (laughs) Probably when they're younger. Yeah. But I've had, I've had, I've had, you know, I've, I've, I don't deadlift anymore because I just don't have access to a gym. But like when I was, had access to a gym and deadlifting, man, that, that seemed to help a ton. And I know they're other lifting too. So I think it's good, but not, not, not necessary. And if you're going to focus on one thing, focus on, on running. And if you want to strengthen yourself while running, do hills. I agree with the hill thing. Yeah. As far as uh, this is kind of a free for all in high school, I feel like. And if you can't tell Bracken's a shoe nerd, what? <laughs> is there any sort of philosophy you have on shoes for the, the younger kids or, or generation in general? Um, yeah. For girls, it would be cute. <laughs> Liquid to run good. Yep. Yep. Same for Bracken. Look at all those pastel colors back. Yeah. There. Yep. No, that's I would. That's probably. I, I would say, you put the shoe on. Does it feel comfortable immediately? And then is it cute? <laughs> that's not very different from exactly how I choose my shoes. <laughs> Except I narrow it down to the ones that I put on by if they're cute to begin with. So. <laughs> cart horse kind of situation <laughs> yeah i mean like running shoes they're so uh, like I, I don't know I, I rarely put on a pair of running shoes that doesn't feel good i don't know maybe it's just me but if, yeah if it feels good right away i guess you know you don't want like some girls so i, I had this one girl who I, i'm not sure what her financial status was I, I don't think she was like poor or anything but she ran in these like just like kmart nikes you know, like literally you would find this at Kmart and she ran two seasons in them. She never changed them. She raced in them. 
And, you know, she was like an 1830 5k for a girl. That's, that's a really fast 5k for a girl. <laughs> yeah. Every year I say, Hey, I won't use the name here, but I say to all the girls like, Hey, we had this girl on our team a few years ago. She ran two minutes faster than you. And she wore Kmart shoes the whole season. So, I mean, she was lucky she didn't get hurt. Um, she was resilient, resilient in that regard, but yeah. And they're like, do you do I need spikes? Well, we had a girl in Kmart shoes around 1830. Um, so yeah, spikes can help, but you know, you don't, you don't, they're not a hundred percent necessary. <laughs> but were these shoes cute? They were not, they were not even cute. They were black with a white, white Nike stripe. Not cute. Oh, hideous. Idiot. This is this is an aside, Kirk, but we had a kid on our college team named Devin Allers. And he and Dev walked on and he was the sweetest kid, really hardworking and really impressionable. And we started up this I'd like to take credit that I started up this this conversation on the team that certain colors are just faster than others on shoes. And we had him fully convinced that darker shoes weren't fast. They were just heavier. The manufacturers put more ink into them and they actually were heavier. And one day we talked to the coach and a couple of shoes had come in and there was a dark pair, all black ASIC, like GT 2000 or something. And we had him give it to Devin and Devin opened them up and his face dropped. And we were like, <laughs> this is the last pair. And he, by the end of the week was significantly slower. <laughs> we started on runs being like, Devin, they, this is, this is it. I don't, you've got to get a new pair of shoes. I, I would race you in a 400 right now in flip flops and I will beat you. And we put, we started making bets on it and built it up. And he eventually DNS'd. He didn't start the 400 race because it was so in his head that his black trainers were slower than light colored flip flops. High schoolers and, are terrible. This was that college. mean. Okay, college kids are. This was college. <laughs> we were twenty years old. He was nineteen. <laughs> so, anyways, your your point's correct. If it's not cute, it doesn't matter what's in the shoe. Yep, cuteness. I was an all American in a pair of all black shoes, Bracken. So, well, then you're mentally tougher than, yeah, <laughs> than, than, than good Devin. Old Devin, suck it. Okay. Uh, next question: High schoolers' philosophy. Last philosophy question: um, The use of treadmills and their. Uh, application good bad take them leave them what do you think oh yeah i mean again there's there's sort of like the theoretical and then there's the practical so the practical is you know most kids probably don't have access to one or a good one or or know how to use it and then it's not like you can sit around and show them how to use it uh, there's just no time um but from you know I, I think they have great uses um you know, like if you like one of my favorite treadmill workouts that I don't do anymore because I kind of don't really train in this way anymore, but it would be the, the continuous uphill for like four to six miles. You know, you, well, around here anyway, you can't do that on anything other than a treadmill. Um, great, great workout. Um, you know, it just it's just a way to mix things up in the winter, I think. Um, so, yeah, that, I think I think they can be fine. They're, they're no substitute for running outside, of course, but um well, I should. Well, they they are a substitute for running outside, but not a, like a just kind of an occasional use type thing. So we have some girls that that use them now and again. You hate winter. Well, there's not much else you can do. Yeah. yeah. How many days a week do you think a high school kid should be running to to achieve their potential? Injury aside, yeah. um, what do you think? What do you think's the sweet spot there, and why? 
Yeah. So, I mean, novice, like a, a true, like a beginner that's first year, I'd probably say five, just take the weekend off. Um, because they're, you know, it's kind of that injury sort of thing as they're getting, they're so far beyond what their, whatever couch potato they were before. If they're running five days a week, they, they need that, that rest over the weekend. Um, and then I, you know, we do, we do six days a week. Um, I feel like there, there's probably nothing wrong with seven. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. High school, they got homework. They got family stuff. Um, I, I think, I think, I think six is probably pretty good. I, but I do, I do feel like the Saturday run is pretty important to get them to do that. Like a Saturday morning run. Um, if you think about a season being 12 weeks long, if you, do Saturday runs, that's like almost two weeks of additional training over the course of a 12 week season. So if you were to not do that, that's then you're like almost running two weeks less um, over the course of the season. So I, I think six is for, if you're going to be upper JV and varsity, you probably got to do six it, unless there's some individual circumstance where you're fragile and, and five is better for you or, or less. Um, and then there's probably some real grinders who are, you know, mature enough, responsible enough to, to do seven. With your novice athletes where you're thinking five is good, do you give them a Wednesday or Thursday off and have them come on Saturday to break up that five day in a row load? Or you just say, let's go Monday through Friday, take your weekends off. Yeah, no, you just, you, you can't, you can't really count on anybody showing up on a Saturday. Um, so you got to sort of get them all there. If they're the captive audience for five days, that's, that's what yeah. you're with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if they would show up, then yeah, that would probably work pretty good. But okay, yeah. When you say they're not mature enough, you mean like developmentally, like if they're mature enough to handle seven days, um, is that what you're referring to? I think more like phys- physically, probably, probably, you know, behaviorally too. I mean, you can you remember like some boys in high school who are like juniors and they've got chest hair and beards. I mean, they're just, they're like, you know, they're basically 22 year olds in a, in a 17 year old body. And then you've got other kids that are, you know, they, they look like they should still be in, in fifth grade, even though they're, you know, sophomores or juniors. Um, so big difference there on the boys side. And then, yeah, girls, you know, I, yeah, you just, I don't know. I, I, we we don't quite have the high end athletes at our school that you might see at a Wyzetta or some of these really big ones where uh, these girls. Actually, I'm talking myself. I think maybe seven's probably inappropriate. The more I think about it, and 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 my rationale there would be, you know, one thing I think about as a co- high school coach is you. Well, it, it, at our school it wouldn't work because we don't quite have the the horses for it. But um, you can train a high school kid really really hard. Not necessarily, I mean, appropriately, where they're not breaking down, but you can train them hard and you can run them a lot. Maybe you can get them up to 60, 70 miles a week for, for boys or something. Um, you can do a lot of that stuff. But I, I always look at it as like, where are they going to go after after that with their college training if they're already doing that hard of training? Um, so maybe like, I think, I think maybe the seven days every, running every single day of the week might fall into that category where it's like, yeah, high school is cool and it's fun and it's it's important, but let's save some mojo for when you're beyond high school. Maybe when you're in college, you start running seven days a week. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, what is uh, what are some of the most common mistakes you see these high school kids making? 
running mistakes. Of course, they make lots of other mistakes you know, uh, as I did at that age. But what, what are some of the most common mistakes you're seeing these young kids make? Well, <laughs> the biggest mistake is not showing up. <laughs> um, so it sounds kind of simple, but if you have, like we have summer running five days a week from about mid-June to the start, of, well, not there's the coaching windows where you can't coach, which we follow. But when, when we can coach and we're there in the summer, we're there every morning um, at the park down the street here. And some girls come and some girls don't. So that's a great example there is the biggest mistake you can make is you don't show up to that, that run, that optional run. Um, then probably the second biggest mistake would be, um, let's see if from the novice. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like with the novice, I probably would be like making mistakes is probably part of it. Like I would almost like them to make mistakes. Like how about going out way too hard at a, at a race when you don't know any better? Is that a mistake? Mm -hmm. I kind of don't think it is. I mean, if you do it repeatedly over the season and it always backfires on you, then it becomes something that you can kind of correct. But why, why would I t tell a kid not to like go out like crazy in a race if they're learning? It's like, who, you, you don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe they keep the pace up. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. maybe they crater. But if they crater, you talk about it and you learn something. Um, so that's maybe more that novice level, but maybe at more the advanced level, probably the biggest mistake is, yeah, it's probably just going too hard too frequently. Like, you know, like I do, we talk about keeping pace under control. You do your best to, t to tell people that, but you can't, like, you can't feel their body. Um, so you, you, like you suspect, like, I think this person's probably going too hard, but it's kind of hard to, hard to know sometimes. It would be, it would be just like that, that mentality is, well, it's hard work. You got to work hard, which of course you do, but it's, it's more like that hard work, hard work equals like high intensity, like puking at the end kind of stuff. That's what most people equate hard work with running. And so I would say that that type of hard work is, is probably the biggest mistake. Have you ever thrown up in a workout personally? No, never. Kirk, have you? I have not. I haven't either. I've always wondered yeah. like if I was tough enough to make myself puke in a solo effort, not in a race, but I don't think I've ever come close. No, I've never done it in a race. I've Unless I've been, unless I was sick or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't you feel like there's some sort of like inherited physiological disposition there for some people? Like I think people who throw up, like their GI system stops getting the blood it needs and it's all in their extremities and their body's just like, Bleh! it just yeah. happens. And then some people don't, I can eat a full pizza and go for a run and, and maybe feel somewhat all right. You know, you know, I've never made it to a start line of a race with anything left in my bowels. <laughs> like I could dry heave during a race, but I don't think I could physiologically throw up. That may be the reason. There it is. <laughs> um, just a few more questions for you, okay? The vol the age-old debate of volume versus speed, Joey. I'm going to paint you a picture, okay? You can run only 20 miles a week. You're capped at 20 but you can do all of the speed work and quality work your heart desires. Or you can run unlimited miles, all you care to run, but you're capped. You can't run anything, even tempo or threshold effort. You have to every, keep everything sub-threshold. Which one are you picking and why? Volume or speed? And your race distances is going to be anything from a mile to a 
half marathon, let's say. Yep. I think we should say 5K to marathon. Well, I know, but she's got high school kids. Okay. All right. Well, just 5K, 5K to half. No, you're right. 5K to half marathon has been what we've been asking. Well, I'll go. I'm going to go practical and theoretical on you again here. So theoretically, again, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with draw it out of a hat. It doesn't matter. So I, I've run like some of my best races doing only high volume with no workouts. And I've run some of my best races where all I did was short intensity. Maybe that's just me. I don't know, but I think they're, they can, they can both work great. Um, but pr- practically, I mean, with high school girls, uh, I suppose it varies by school, but I mean, <laughs> 20, 20 might be, is probably the app, you know, there probably aren't many people during the season running more than 20 a week anyway. Um, or maybe up to 30, but for sure any novice is is way below that for a, for a week. If you run five days a week and you have a couple of easy days in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so so it's, it's for at least half or more of our team, it's going to be 20 or under no matter what. And so if for the novice, again, it's just, it's just kind of like you just got to do some stuff. You got to run some easy stuff, run some kind of faster stuff. And, and just try to kind of stay afloat and keep those those novices having fun and try to keep them kind of improving week to week at more the at more like the high end high school level um, if you had 20, 20 or unlimited mileage I, I just don't I don't I've never encountered maybe one or I think only one girl in my eight years who would have run unlimited miles so it's pretty much from that practical standpoint it's it's got to be that on that lower end, but it doesn't have to be all really hard stuff. It can be probably mostly four fifths with, with races or the occasional hard workout. I don't know. If that, 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 was that like a non-answer? I, I feel like, I don't know. Yep. Non-answers can be good answers. It was a great answer. However, I need you to pick one. Let's go for yourself then. Okay. You seem to be a responder. You respond well to stimulus yep. or lack thereof, but volume. So, which is still stimulus. So uh, you got to pick for you. Your back's against the wall. You got to pick. Uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm using my 47 year old brain right now. It would be it would be 20 and 20 or less every time because of age, because of pounding. Um, I, I, well, it, it, again, if you have to pick one, um, I just love it. I still like. I still do 50 meter sprints on the track. I do like like super hard 10 second hill repeats on a super steep hill. Um, I just, yeah, I just, uh, even, even if I were to go back in time, there's things you can't get with that, that you can get with high mileage, which of course limits your, I think puts a ceiling on what you could probably achieve to your best ability. But if I was, if it was me choosing one that I had to use my whole career, I'd go 20 or less. Okay. And then one last caveat to that question same scenario, same question, except for the 20 miles per week. Well, it's going to be an easy answer for you, but 20 miles per week with all the quality work your heart desires, and you can train aerobically in any non-packed modality, like cross-training. So you can add that in, which obviously would just make the deal sweeter for you, I suppose, huh? I think so. Yep. Okay. Um, we got a bunch of questions we could ask you, but I'm just going to ask you one more. Yep. Because we're getting near that time, so... Um, and I want you to think cross country and track. Okay. And no picking out of a hat for this one. Okay. 
You only get one workout to prescribe your kids for the rest of your life and their life every season. Cross country, one quality, the flashy workout, the one that's the stimulus. Which workout are you picking? Exact specifics. Every week, you got to repeat it. Every single week. (laughs) Okay, so this is a little off here, but I'm going to say run an hour a day. Okay. Why? I like that answer, by the way. Yeah. So we're going to do, we're going to do no workouts. All we're going to do is run an hour a day. And and of course we're racing every week. It's an important element of the high school. Yep. yep. Right. So it's, yeah. So I would just, I would, yeah, that's what I would do. It's a, you know, although, although I said that I, I, I would like to train 20 or less myself and I love training that way. I mean, there's no, there's no substitute for time, time on the feet and, and putting in the time of running. You just like, I, like I couldn't have been as good a runner as I was without high volume. My first college coach was not a good coach. He was a very good runner, very bad with people and v- v- just not a good coach, but he, probably the best piece and maybe the only useful piece of knowledge he ever gave was one of the first things he ever said to me, which was, First, we're going to get you till you can run an hour every day, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. And I think I could have left campus that day and been better off than if I stayed the rest of the year like I did. But it always stuck with me that if this man who doesn't like people, doesn't like kids, doesn't like young adults, doesn't like interacting with people, doesn't know how to coach, that was the first thing he thought he should tell me. Like, there's some power behind that. Yeah. Hmm. Now, and again, I would there's so many little angles here, but it's, this would be, I would say physiologically what I would pick in reality. I think everybody would get bored and quit your team mm-hmm. would be mm-hmm. probably the downside of doing that for high school kids. Maybe not, but it would be, you know, they, they got to have some, something else going on then. Okay. Another day of running for an hour, but I think it would be mm-hmm. tremendously successful phys- physiologically because of the big race stimulus once a week, that'll move the yep. needle forward. They're going to develop their, yeah. Aerobic capacity. So if you just okay, so that's your answer. I actually admire that answer. I didn't expect it, and I like it. Yeah. Now, if you did have to give us like your favorite interval workout, where you're like, or whatever it might be, if you had to, which one would it be? Uh, the kids just seem to respond well to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd probably go. Yes, yeah, it just it's so boring. But I mean, I would just say like four fifths mile repeats, maybe three to four of them. Four fifths effort. How much rest? Um. I don't know. I, we kind of lose. Let's see. Uh, yeah, probably like three minutes. Because if you're not, you know, if you're going 80%, you shouldn't be too cooked at the end of one of them. So you just need a little rest. And then there you go again. Yep. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Kirk, you said oh. it was the last one, but I'm actually very interested about another question. Well, I still have to ask him about track workout. But Track's going to be the same thing because you race even more often. No, but I'm going to go from 400 meters to the two mile. All right. Go for curveball. Then go. All right. well, one workout. We know you think the long run would be like just a steady run for the track. If you had to have one as well that covered the gamut for your girls, which I assume you coach 400 meters to two miles. Yep. Um, what What would that be? Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Uh, if I, okay. Uh, I, I've never really gotten people to do Can I do one that I, I can never get people to do? Yeah. Okay. Yep. It would be. Uh, 200 meters on off. 
So back in the day when I was fit, I would run these. I would I would go like 35, 45, 35 seconds, 45 seconds, and then kind of drift down from there over over four miles. Your Dillinger workout. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what it is. Yep, the, an old Dillinger workout. And so then it would be by the end, you know, you're like 30, 30, 40 or something like that for the last mile. Now that and then four miles is too much for a high school kid. But if I could get our girls to do even two miles of that. I would love to do it. They did. It's, I've tried, and they, it's just it's just too a little bit too complex and a little too advanced to get them to do it. Maybe someday the pacing ends up blending together, doesn't it? Exactly right. You can, you can, yeah yep. All right. So my question for you then, uh, I, I'm curious about your coaching. Hey, first, who have if you had to pick one person? I know this is tough, but who have you learned the most from in your coaching? And you can cheat and say more than one person if you have to. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, with uh, Greg Hexum that I mentioned up in Duluth. He's uh, again kind of he does ultras now, but he went ran for UND University of North Dakota way back in the day. Um, really good snowshoer. Um, but it, it, I probably have learned the most from him, um, and it's been it's been a dialogue. It's sort of been this <clears throat> like ten or fifteen year dialogue we've had. You think we think of something else to talk about eventually, but um, but I probably visit him two three times a year, and we just inevitably. Like we're talking about training, even though we're old and we don't really do it anymore. It's just, we can't help it. Yeah. If you ever needed a first date icebreaker, go on a run with her. You could talk about anything <laughs> every single time over and over and over and it would work. Yeah. All right. So, so then the, our coaching question we like to ask is, let's say you were making your comeback. You're going to win the master's world championship and you were not allowed to coach yourself. You had to go all in on someone else who would you outsource your coaching to um yeah boy i i think i i feel like without knowing a whole i mean i, I know this person well and i've known them since again I, well i went to mobile alabama in high school together uh for that championship race um i've never been coached by him and he's come up in this podcast before but i just feel like this person like figured it out better than I did and way before I did. And that is uh, Chris Lundstrom. I'm not even sure what he does now. I think, isn't he, he's the coach of Team USA Minnesota, I think. I think he's the head coach for that. He at least was. He was yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he still is, but he's got a degree in physiology. Um, smart guy. I just, I feel like I probably just don't know enough people maybe, but um, yeah, among, among people that would like realistically, potentially like I could call and have him coach me. I probably would pick him. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Who beat who in that race? The high school one? I beat him. Yeah. That's right. You did. Because he was still in high school. Oh. Yeah. It's interesting. We've asked, what, five, six people these questions now? And it's almost split down the middle. People choosing, like, their coaching idol, some pro, and someone they know and trust. Oh, yeah. What else you got, Bracken? Any more you want to toss this way? Otherwise, um... I like, I, I, you know what? I like surprising people with the one question that someone surprised me with. I didn't have a good answer, but when I hear other people do it, it's always gold. Okay. So what's one thing people need to hear today? I think uh, what people, is it know or strive? I think people need to strive to learn the art of running. And, and, and that, this kind of goes back to a lot of these concepts, like the draw it out of the hat, um, the, the pick it at the last second workout type stuff. If you 
learn the art of training, you you can you can make anything work, and you can make your and you can and it and you can make it work in a way that is pleasing to you. Um, feels just feels good and is rewarding, and you and uh, I mean not not even just like oh this workout. It's like like I would say virtually every step I take when I run. Okay, I have off days, but mostly like every step I take feels awesome. And every workout I do, I love it. Um, it, and it feels great. And part of that is if I have a bad workout, I just stop. Um, but if you, but if you learn that, that art of great training, which is kind of essentially it's, you know, I could go on and on, but it's kind of just no, knowing using the best technology there is to monitor and, and inform your training. And that's your own brain. And and using every little pieces of feedback that you get from everything, from the wind, how your foot hits the ground, how your body feels, to make really just sound, really artful training decisions. Hmm. Learning the art of running and then the paintbrush you use doesn't really matter, does it? I think so. That's a fridge magnet right there, Kirk. Yeah. Slap it on there. But but then you could say, well, well, okay, describe this art of running. And I don't, I, you know, I, I could probably get to it after a long discussion, but it's. Well, that's not what art is. It's not a definition. It's a feeling. Yeah. Right. Bam. It's like make it, making the hard look easy is what I think what art, like sport, like sports people, like really like in the NBA, I mean, or any sport, it's like NHL hockey. They make it look so easy. Like, how do you make, that's, that's an artist is when they make the hard look easy. And I think that's kind of what you, you know, that's kind of that goal of running, I think, is that art and it's this at one time really hard conceptual thing. But, on the, you know, how, do, how can you make it easy and make it make it? Well, yeah, just make it uh, make it great for yourself. And then your results, the end, the end, it'll happen. I think we roll the music right there. Thank you.